receive these selected verses from 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Receive what the Spirit is saying. I invite us all to pray together now. Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that you are with us, that uh, you are always present and guiding us, and that what you send to us does not return to you empty, but you work and bring forth that which is needed. In this moment, I pray, O oh God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you. For you, O oh God, are our strength and redeemer. Amen. If I believed the world were to end tomorrow... I would still plant a tree today. These are among the most well-known words of Martin Luther that he never said. It's one of those, if you look it up, you know, the scopes thing, they'll say, nope, never said it. But it doesn't really matter because they're such wise words, whoever said them. And in times like the ones we're living, when human greed and folly and fear and bigotry threatens so much life, these words are particularly powerful and poignant. To plant a sapling when we believe that it may be the end of the world is an extraordinary affirmation that nurturing life is always a good thing to do. It's to make a profound statement of hope. And as I have been saying the past couple of weeks, our hope is not just wishful thinking. We have hope because God is a living God who is always working for good in the world. God's grace is always at work in and through you and through me and through communities of faith and through communities of conscience all around the world. We get to participate as agents of God's new life and God's mending of this beautiful broken world. We have hope because God continually plants the possibility for new life in the world, even in the midst of our human foolishness. And God's word doesn't return empty 
but accomplishes its purpose and succeeds in the thing for which it was sent. The selected verses from 2 Timothy remind us some of how we participate with God. First, a little bit of background on that text. Historically, Timothy was a trusted friend and colleague of the Apostle Paul. But 2 Timothy, it is widely agreed, is not written by Paul, but by another author within the Pauline tradition. And it's written in a particular genre, that of a final testament, which is uh, a dying parent giving encouragement and wisdom, passing that on to a beloved child. And in the beginning verses of Timothy, we heard those words that many of us know well, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Eunice, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. In many cases, like Timothy, words of hope and faith and love and maybe how to fix a Mustang gets passed down to us from family members. Many of us will be able to think of those in our lives who, whether they are biological family or chosen family, have influenced our lives of faith, who have taught us how to follow in the way of Jesus through their lives and through their words. And I always want to take this opportunity when this passage is read in worship to remind all of you parents out there who have children at home and maybe children anywhere, Reverend Dr. Kenda Creasy-Dean, professor of youth, church, and culture at Princeton Seminary, emphasizes that even though it may seem our children and teens are not listening or paying attention, to anything that you're saying and do this is but this is the thing it, it may seem that way but all the studies show all the studies show that the single most important factor in your child's openness to God and to faith is what you do as their parents a child's openness to God and to faith is absolutely dependent on what their parents say and do. What you prioritize and care about absolutely influences your children. Dr. Dean says, we adults, and I would say this to all of us, we may question what we believe, but most of us are pretty clear about God's love and presence with us. But really, it's such a preposterous claim that young people are unlikely to believe that unless we give them opportunities to do some, and I love this phrase, to do some sacred eavesdropping. Isn't that good? Some sacred eavesdropping on us as we seek and delight and trust in God's presence with us. This is is one reason, you see, why in addition to providing Christian education through Sunday school, Boundary has made a commitment to having our young people in worship 
and engaged in as many parts of our shared life as possible. We want to provide every opportunity for them to sacredly eavesdrop on what the adults in their church family are doing and to give them the opportunity to learn through that and to grow their own faith as leaders. We cultivate a future with hope as we model and share our faith, our priorities with others, especially those who are new to faith, whether they are old or young, whether they are blood kin or God kin. Chapter 1, verse 7 of 2 Timothy says this, God did not give us the spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and love and of self-discipline. And I want to take just another moment or two to pause on each of these and about how they help us cultivate a future with hope. First, I don't know about you, But my own personal testimony is this. When I find myself teetering on the edge of despair, and I don't think that I have the energy or the power to do whatever it is that I have to do, it is often right in that place that I become most aware of the spirit of power that God gives. It's often right in that place when I feel very empty that lo and behold, the power of God has more room to fill me up and do more even than I might have done if I had been full of myself. It's a very interesting dynamic. But you see, it's this beautiful gift, that experience of the power of God within us. It's a source of hope in that we learn in those moments that it is not by our strength alone that we participate in God's work in the world. It's not by our our own strength that we accomplish the things that we are called to do. And the spirit of love is the second gift mentioned. And again, my personal witness is this, that when I think of giving up or begin to feel hopeless, as if my efforts won't make a difference, why do I bother? All I have to do in those moments is call to mind the ones I love, the ones who love me, the ones with whom I share life and ministry, And the love of God then at work in me helps me to regain focus and to offer my efforts toward the flourishing of the people and the communities in my life. You see, the love of God that flows from God and binds us together, that love is the most powerful force in the whole world. It can move us in so many ways to do good. There is reason for hope because God's life-giving, liberating love is always at work. 
And the final gift mentioned, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. It's the gift of self-discipline. You know you want to talk about that, right? Everybody, I mean, come on. Um, Self-discipline. Pastor and poet Steve Garness Holmes talks about this gift as going through the motions. And he puts it this way. Little kids in a karate class. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, a little kid's karate class, but imagine. The usual mix of discipline and squirreliness, learning the moves, repeating the moves, the posture, the punch, the follow-through. They don't all understand what they're doing or why. Practicing the moves, the stance, the focus, going through the motions until they're natural. No different from Yo-Yo Ma, he says, on the cello. Babe Ruth in batting practice. My husband at the golf range. I'm just saying. I added that, by the way. That's an edit. Just going through the motions. They just go through the motions. And so Steve goes on to say, so I practice the moves, the gratitude, the forgiveness, the compassion. I go through the motions. The trust, the silence, the openness, the prayer. This is how you become a master. Today I will go through the motions. You know, usually we use that phrase to mean to not be invested in what we're doing, to do something and not really be feeling it, to just phone it in. But I like this reminder that going through the motions can also be an act of commitment to growth, to cultivation of a future that is better and different for ourselves or for our community to create a future with hope. And sometimes in that going through the motions, we may not be feeling it, whatever it is. And that's absolutely normal. And the good news is, is that we are in good company on that. Some of you will know that when John Wesley, the spiritual founder of this whole Methodist thing, was tempted to give up his ministry... Because he wasn't feeling faith, Moravian bishop Peter Bowler told Wesley, preach faith till you have it. And then, because you have it, you will preach faith. So Wesley went through the motions. And many of us will know the story of how he was not really in the mood to go to Bible study uh, on Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans at Aldersgate Street. Now, I know that all of you would be desperate to get to a Bible study on Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans, and that would, you, would, you would turn away brunch invitations to make that event. But Wesley wasn't feeling it. But he lugged himself there anyway. He got himself there. And Wesley recorded this in his journal. He, he writes, 
About a quarter before nine, 9 p.m., while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And so Wesley, you see, just kept showing up. He kept studying. He kept preaching. And the result was a changed heart condition. You see, faith, hope, and love grow through practice, through the actions and choices that we make that help growth happen. It's not that that is all it takes, you see, because it's just that through practicing the disciplines, we cultivate the soil of our lives to make space for God's word of love to take root and grow in our lives. This is what the letter of 2 Timothy is saying. This is the Wesleyan way by the power and love at work in us to practice the disciplines, to intentionally put ourselves in the flow of God's grace and to grow in faith, hope, and love. The spiritual disciplines or means of grace, as Wesley called them, take a number of forms. And as we are in the midst of our stewardship season, it's helpful and instructive for us to remember how our intentional giving is a means of grace. Not only do our financial gifts help care for our most vulnerable siblings, and by the way, another little edit, if you haven't had a conversation with Pastor Ben, our, direct, our executive director of Program and Justice Ministries lately, I highly encourage you to have a conversation with him to share some of what was shared in the stewardship talk today between services, because it will inspire you and it will remind you of the impact we are making in this community. I'm going to talk more about that next week, but I just had to say it because it was so good. Um, so please talk to Pastor Ben and other members of Sacred Resistance team uh, when you can. That our financial gifts help the most vulnerable in our community. It makes a huge difference. It also makes this whole life that we share together as Foundry possible, every bit of it from top to bottom. None of this happens without our financial commitments. None of it. And when it feels like, you see, one of the things is, is that it doesn't just help all of these things happen, but our giving and our growing in our giving is one of the most powerful ways to practice cultivating a future with hope. Because when it feels like the future is bleak, our commitment to give is like planting a tree. When we fear all the messages that want to tell us there's not enough, that we won't have enough, making a commitment to give is a profound act of faith and of hope. We practice it. And I use the term commitment here intentionally because that, you see, is the spiritual discipline. To commit to a certain estimate of giving and to make it one of those go-through-the-motions things 
That is the discipline. And I hasten to add that if, as we say around here, if life happens and something changes and you aren't able to fulfill that estimate, guess what? Grace abounds. It's okay. But making a specific estimate, I know, can can feel scary and it can feel anxiety-producing, especially in the time where we're living. But remember, beloveds, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, (laughs) but rather a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-discipline. And so we together practice courage till we have it. We practice generosity till we have it. We practice hope till we truly have it. God gives us opportunities to plant seeds of faith, hope, and love in others, and power to do more than we think we're capable of, to love in ways that motivate us to keep going, and to go through the motions together that train us in the ways of God and ultimately to cultivate a future with hope for our own lives, for our families, for our church, our community, and the world. For this, I can only say, thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.